Welcome to Whip Beyond Measure. My name's Katrina Mayer. And I'm Al Kammerer. And this episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Kate Pierce, Sweet Talking Rancher. You know, Katrina, all this talk about Emma and the English countryside and small rural villages is kind of making me a little nostalgic for like a country living type set in the U.S. Ooh, really? Well, in that case, you should check out Sweet Talking Rancher. It's part of a whole romance series called The Millers of Morgan Valley that follow the lives and loves of a ranching family from Morgantown, California. But... What's special about this series is how the author expertly flips the typical romance tropes and showcases unique heroes. Oh, that sounds actually really cool. Yeah. So Sweet Talking Rancher is book five in the series and focuses on Danny Miller, whose torrid love life took a turn for the worst when things ended sourly with his high school sweetheart, Faith. Now, 17 years after the breakup, Faith is coming back home to take over and support her father as he retires from their family's veterinary practice. Both Danny and Faith are hoping to keep their distance from one another, and they're also kind of hoping that the people of Morgantown have forgotten about their young romance. But when a strange infection starts cropping up in the Miller's cows, Danny and Faith find themselves in closer proximity than planned, And despite how much time has passed, it seems that their relationship hasn't cooled as much as they anticipated. Of course not. Mm -hmm. Romance in the air. (laughs) So if you're in the mood for rough and tumble ranch hands who have a sweet yet sensual touch, you will definitely want to pick this one up. And you know, all the other books in Pierce's series. Because if one sexy rancher is good, then more must be better. You can find Sweet Talking Rancher by Kate Pierce wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Nice. This episode is also unofficially brought to you by bronchitis, because if you have a cough and you're coughing off something green, you might have bronchitis. Let's hope you don't have to podcast this week. (laughs) Oh, wait. By the way, guys, I've had bronchitis for the last week, so if I lose my voice by the end of this episode... That's why. Also, if I start sounding, you know, like one of those like gravelly voiced, like <laughs> super action heroes, a la Batman. It's also the bronchitis. It's not a new thing I'm trying. If that happens though, you like totally need the Batman like the Batman voice. What's for dinner? Justice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Not gonna lie, one of the times my husband had bronchitis or something. I d it might not have been bronchitis. He could only talk in that low register, and he sounded like Christian Bale Batman. It was hilarious. That is amazing. Also, this episode might be brought to you by Podcast Cats, because I have my cat in my room, (laughs) and he is very squeaky today. Yeah. Well, now that we're done giving you excuses as to why you're going to hear weird things... (laughs) um, Like we said before, the podcast is actually brought to you by Kensington Books' new book, so please go ahead and check that out. But until then, let's talk about the books we read this week, because we are, of course, reading some Emma book adaptations. Yes. So, Katrina, let's start with yours this week. I'm intrigued by yours because while most of the time, especially with when we did these with Pride and Prejudice, 
a lot of the books were very clearly connected to the original story. Mm -hmm. Whereas your book, the title suggests that it is connected to Emma, but I'm curious as to whether or not that actually holds up. Yeah. So I read Dear Mr. Knightley, and it was published in 2013 by Catherine Ray. And yeah, you're thinking it's going to be like an Emma-ish kind of thing, especially with the Mr. Mm -hmm. Knightley reference in the title. Um, But it's not really the story of Emma. It's its own story. And the main character, it's about her life. She's like a young, um, early 20-something, and it's an epistolary novel. And she's writing to this person who wishes to be called Mr. Knightley. She has not given his real name or anything like that. And she has... It's probably George, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, you do find out what his real name is by the end. Um, So the reason why she is writing to him is because... So the main character, whose name is Samantha or Sam, she goes by Sam, she was in foster care for most of her life. And... She stays at this place called Grace House. Um, That's where she lives for a big chunk of her, like, later, like, teen into early 20s life. She's there, like, for undergraduate and then now in order to kind of, like, hopefully stay at Grace House um, before, like, going back up into the world. She is going to go to grad school. I am saying all of this wrong. I don't know where my thoughts are. Hold on. <laughs> no, it makes sense. We got we have a girl named Sam who is in foster care and she's staying at Grace House. Yes. And she is able to stay there. It sounds like she's able to stay there as long as she's in school. Yes. So now that she finished her undergrad, she's going to grad school. Yes, that is exactly yeah, it. She sense. wasn't originally going to go to grad school. She wanted to like just go out into the real world and get things done. Um, you get the sense early on that she is just like, I make these decisions. I do this. I block out these people. This, 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 this. But her year out in the real world did not go well. She ends up back at Grace House and now she's like going to grad school. That's where the novel is kind of starting. And sounds, I'm not going to, I don't mean to jump in here, but it sounds a little bit like Jane Fairfax where she's like, oh, I'm going to stay at the Campbells, but I really need to prepare to go out into the real world. But then she's just like, no, I'm just going to keep staying with the Campbells. Yes. Oh my gosh. I never made the connection that she was Jane Fairfax. That's well, really I don't know cool. if she is, but that that is the connection I'm seeing no, with I, this idea of totally being reluctant it. to go out into the real world. Yeah. But I also see a little bit of Harriet in the sense that, like, she's a foster. She's staying in this one place and she know, mm-hmm. doesn't really know. I don't know if she knows much about her history, but, you know, stuff like that, too. So, see, I can make connections. No, those, oh. are, <laughs> those are great connections. Um, so she has to write to this Mr. Knightley person because he is the head of the foundation that is paying for her grad school. And because she... Hashtag life goals. Right. Because (laughs) she didn't take advantage of this a year ago, like they had to pull a lot of strings to get her into the program and get her set up. And so as like, you know, payment or like trust that she's going to go through it this time around... She Mm -hmm. has to just kind of write to him regularly and just like, hey, you know, let me know what you're doing. Tell me what you're learning. And she ends up telling him all about her life. And the letters are one way. Um, He Mm -hmm. does not write back. He writes back like a couple times, but only just to be like, 
oh, are you sure you want me to write back to you? And then she's like, no, 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 don't do it. Or she got really kind of scared at this one point because a box of clothes and all this really nice stuff came to her from the foundation because she had said that she didn't have anything nice and all of a sudden all this stuff was sent to her and she could, like got really freaked out by that. She's like, are you just buying me essentially like she wasn't <laughs> cool with it and he's you know the assistant his assistant had written back uh-huh. and was like i picked out the clothes i was my idea to like get you a leg up to you know what uh, you okay. need so those are the only times you really hear from other characters but it's mostly from her perspective okay yeah the novel is set in chicago which, oh, nice! Yeah, which is cool because, like, I get a lot of those reference um, because that's where I live. <laughs> Here's the real question. Is it accurate, Chicago? Or is it, like, some divergent shit where it ain't accurate? <laughs> so, for the most part, it is accurate. The author, Catherine Ray, um, she went to Northwestern, which is actually where oh, okay. the main character goes to school. Makes sense. Um, so, yeah, she she's good with the city. There were only two things that I had an issue with. <laughs> the first was they went to the Lincoln Park Zoo to look at elephants. And I'm like, excuse me, there haven't been elephants in the Lincoln Park Zoo for a long time. And then the other thing is um, she gets, like, this internship uh, mm-hmm. at the Tribune. So she was mm-hmm. at the Tribune building she meets this, like, professor and his wife, and, like, they kind of become part of her life, and they live in Winneka. And she's talking about going from the Tribune building up to where they are to, like, get ready because she's staying there at the summer. At that point, she's, like, a half an hour on the train. I'm, like, excuse me? A half an hour, like, going from the Tribune building to Winneka is not real. That would not happen. <laughs> it takes a minimum 45 minutes. So... <laughs> <laughs> Probably well, an hour it, with all the stops and the train delays. Was it, was it like an L or was it like Metra? It's the Metra. Oh, okay. So yeah, that definitely didn't take 30 minutes. That yeah. was definitely longer than yeah. that. Because, and yeah. specifically because the L, right? She would, because the school is in Evanston. She's staying in Evanston, like that you area. You can take an L. That you can take an L be, up to Evanston. Yeah, but she's specifically yeah. on the Metra. She's staying mm-hmm. at the professor's house in Winneka at this point. So it didn't outwardly say it. I just assumed that was where she was traveling. And I even got to the point where I texted Patrick and I was like, all right, if I was at the Tribune building and I was going on the Metra up to Winneka, how long would it take me? No context. Just send him that. He's like, probably an hour. And I was like, yeah, see, this book is so unrealistic. No, <laughs> also because kidding. you'd have to walk from the Tribune building probably right. all the way to uh, not Union Station, but the other one, Ogilvy. Uh, Ogilvy, right? yeah, mm-hmm. and that takes like a freaking half hour, forty five minutes. Because I used to walk that. That used to be my commute because I worked in the building across the street from the Tribune. Yeah, which, by the way, is also no longer the Tribune. Right, <laughs> it was sold as something else now. But the Tribune building is still there, and it's really awesome. Mm-hmm. But. But yeah, so so those are my anyway, like only on. <laughs> two like nitpicky things, which is nothing, of course. Like no, it's not nearly as bad. Deals, but I was like, hmm, it's not nearly as bad as Divergent, where they're trying to like use a ladder to get from a building on one side of Michigan Avenue into a window in the Art Institute. And I'm like, first of all, no. Second of all, they don't make ladders that big. It's it's like a city block almost, like mm-hmm. the width of it's no. Sorry. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so yeah, really fun to read. Um mm-hmm. you 
get a lot of Sam's backstory sprinkled throughout the letters and you learn more about her life as the book goes on. Um, You learn about her, what her parents were like. Um, So not good people, which is how she ends up in foster care, essentially. It's just really sad. And that becomes like this thing to like hide from her parents and then she's in like foster homes which some are good but most are not good situations mm-hmm. right so she it, it starts to explain why she is the way she is why she is building up these walls because part of the reason why she kind of crashed and burned that first year out working is like people were like yeah she does what we need her to do but she's not a team player or she very clearly has some strange social cues and you don't really know what she's saying or how she's saying things. And like, it really rubs people the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Same with like making friendships, right? It's very hard for her to kind of make friendships because while some people know her story, the people she meets when she goes to grad school, they obviously don't know that. And she's not forthcoming with this information Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's something that she's still defensive about. So how she defends herself and kind of where the connection to Jane Austen comes in is she was an avid reader. She hid in classic literature, like as a young kid to kind of protect herself. And she would just read the books over and over and over to the point where she could pretty much recite full passages and lines from them. And she started adopting characters as her personality to kind of help her overcome certain emotions that she was feeling so she'll often say i donned my best lizzie and like so so she'll take on that persona of lizzie bennett to the point where she will verbatim like say lizzie lines or another one she refers to a lot is edmund dantes who is from the count of monte cristo like that's Mm -hmm. when she's like trying to be tough you know Uh she does reference that's definitely a tough one (laughs) for sure um she does reference emma a lot And she also references Jane Eyre a lot, which I thought was really interesting because reading this book, you get insight into her first relationship, her first real boyfriend relationship with this guy who's like nice, but like he's a total dirtbag, like (laughs) douchebag, but he really wanted to like prop her up and like make her... I don't know. She was like arm candy, essentially. Ah, She didn't get that at first, but like over the course of like describing the relationship and what happens, like it's basically like he just wanted her for what she is and not who she is. So yeah, so there's that relationship. And then there's like this other relationship that's not really a relationship, but she meets her favorite author. He's a fictional author in the world of this novel. He writes like kind of crime or like this, not crimes, but they're like almost kind of mysteries, modern mysteries. They follow like this detective and like it was the books became so popular. They were a movie franchise and it turns out the author is like only about five years older than her. So she ends up meeting him and like they end up becoming friends and her connection to him is how she connects to the professor family, the professor and his wife in Winneka because They kind of took him in when he was at school at uh, Northwestern or maybe it was wherever. He went to school someplace in Chicago and the professor met her like when she was with them and they immediately gravitated toward her. And so they all start kind of spending time together. So 
you can tell she really likes this author guy. And it's interesting because, like, he kind of likes her back. And this is the romance you obviously want to happen, right? You don't want mm-hmm. her to be with the guy who, like, isn't treating her that great. You want her to be with this guy who likes her for who she is. But, and I'm really trying hard not to spoil this book. So she makes all these connections to Jane Eyre. She references Jane Eyre a lot. And the whole time she does this and seems to know this book, she doesn't realize that the author guy, who's like the good guy who you want her to be with, is a total Mr. Rochester. Like, just (laughs) lying his pants off. And like, I mean, not lying, but like, there's a big lie. It's like a big, big lie he tells her. And it just like really makes you feel ick. And, like, uh. she breaks up with the yucky guy. She does end up with the author guy. And then the lie comes out. And it's like, I don't want you guys to be together anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyway. So, that was, that kind of rocked my world. It was a rough ending because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, outside of the... Mr. Knightley tie-in and the like references to Austin and stuff. Were there other things with this character, with the story that you could connect with uh, Emma specifically? I mean, there's obviously a big difference between a girl who grew up in foster care who has a benefactor and Emma Woodhouse, but that doesn't mean that there isn't like another character connection like I may have pointed out before, but were there other things that you saw? Like, was there like a Frank Churchill? Was there like a Knightley? Was there like a, you know... Not was there a Miss really. Bates? <laughs> no, there really, really wasn't. It, these were it, its own stories with its own characters. Mm-hmm. The connection to the literature is like when she recites lines as as like a defense mechanism when she's mm-hmm. backed into a corner with certain people. Um, and her and the author guy, they had this game where they like quote directly from books until one of them is stumped. Um, Mm -hmm. until they can't figure out who the person is quoting anymore. So that kind of plays into it. And then at the end, when, like, things happen, like, there's a proposal scene with the author. He proposes to her, and she, like, delivers verbatim Lizzie Bennet first proposal lines. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, there's a part of me that kind of wishes somebody I didn't like would propose to me so I could do that. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm a happily married woman. She totally, <laughs> totally does that. It wrecks his world. He's like, I thought we were more than this. <laughs> Which is exactly what Darcy was thinking. Yeah. But Darcy did better. Exactly. And like when that's happening, you're like, no, no, no. Be with him. What are you doing? And then like 10 pages later, you catch him in this huge lie. And you're like, oh, no, screw you. You're not Darcy. Well- you're Rochester. Get out of here. <laughs> Go away. So uh, I'm not as familiar with uh, Jane Eyre, uh, which that will be a topic for a later time, possibly. But listening to what you were saying in this description, could this author maybe be a bit of a Frank Churchill in that like flirty, flirty and then big secret? Not that Frank Churchill would have proposed. Right. Um, maybe. You know what? Maybe. I'm just trying to find a connection. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because she really draws comparisons to her first boyfriend. So she refers mm-hmm. at the beginning of their relationship to their Marianne and Willoughby or their okay, Marianne okay. 
at first because like she's thinking that and she's like oh no he's definitely a brandon he takes care of me so they're marianne and brandon and you're reading it like this guy is not brandon how dare you sully that name (laughs) this guy's a douchebag he is not colonel brandon rude and then she wants all the bad he breaks up with her because he's been cheating on her the bad boyfriend she's like oh he was a mr elton or he really was a willoughby all along and Mm -hmm. yeah so it's interesting it's interesting how she connects like people she comes into contact with to like these characters and how she like relates them to herself that part was really fun um and the whole story like at first in the beginning it's kind of hard because Mm -hmm. i'm not a person that really loves first person i feel like Mm. first person novels are just me 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 it's all about me and like if you don't like the character it's Mm. really hard to like Mm -hmm. see their internal thoughts because usually you're not gonna agree with them and this book definitely had that issue for me in the beginning but once you come to learn more about the character sam and her life you understand why she is that way and so it became less obnoxious and then Also, she's, like, out at grad school. She does leave Grace House, and she lives in an apartment that's closer to the school that's funded by the foundation because she's, like, essentially mugged – well, not mugged, but she's, like, beaten to within an inch of her life, like, coming back on the L one night. Like, somebody just attacks her, and she gets, like, really scared to take the L – like all the way up to Evanston and then Grace House is apparently downtown. So that's a long trek. So they mm-hmm. set her up up closer to the school so she, she's able to keep going to school. So like after that happens and she's on her own and she's like meeting friends at school, which she doesn't do well with at first, but then it gets better. You start to really like her. You start to like really, really root for her and you hope she makes good decisions. I was going to say a little bit how like, we're supposed to feel with Emma, like we're supposed to, you know, like we didn't like her at first and the but like halfway through we're supposed to be like, oh, okay, let's root for her a little bit. Yeah. I'm not saying we did. Please refer back to previous episodes. But yeah. <laughs> and then at the end you're like, why is she marrying this dude? Does she love him? And you're kind of in this book, you're like, why is she marrying this dude? He's weird. He did a bad weird thing. Why is she forgiving him so easily? I guess I could see like they the author and her have a really deep connection. And, like, mm-hmm. they do really know each other. And, you know, what? a part of me was like, okay, yeah, I could see them working through this. But, like, she found out and she was mad. And I was like, good, be mad, leave. I want to – I want to – and then one year later, I saw him again and we worked it out. Like, that's what I wanted. But, no, they, like, worked it out almost too quickly. And I was like, he did a bad thing. He's been lying to you for a long time. I don't think you should forgive him this quickly. Anyway, so – yeah, that was that was that was the thing. It just ruined it for me, and to the point where, like, I got to that part because you kind of are suspecting that he's lying a little bit, and mm-hmm. I was like, I hope he's not. And then I got to the part, and I was like, No, like I said it out loud. I was like, No, 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 no. And I put the book down, and then I texted you, and I told you <laughs> that I didn't think I could finish it because <laughs> something I was worrying about happening in the book actually and- happened. <laughs> Shame on you for ever thinking that you could record an episode and not finish the book. I know. <laughs> but I did finish it. <laughs> I went back and I finished it. And because I was like, maybe she'll like leave him. <laughs> she didn't. Um, yeah. 
There are other aspects of the novel that I will not talk about in case you want to read it. Um, then you want to be a surprise, specifically with learning about what her life is like at Grace House, how she connects with people that she knew at Grace House for positive and also in not so positive ways. Like the relationships she has are very real. And then you can also read more to find out what it's like for her at grad school, because as smart and quick as she is, Things don't work out so well for her in the beginning, and it's a little nerve-wracking. Um, so you can, like, see how she navigates that. And then, yeah, you get to also see how she connects with the professor and his wife and how they become a big part of her life at the end, which I really loved that part of the book. And oh, nice. I really loved their connection that they had. It was really beautiful to the point where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting really teary-eyed <laughs> reading about the of professor and his wife basically like adopting her. And I'm just like, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, I would say read the book unless you're somebody who has like trust issues as a trigger, then maybe don't because this I was gonna will say, mess with your trust issues for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, who do you recommend this book to? Yeah, there you go. So, like if there, you have yep, trust, you if you have trust issues, <laughs> maybe pass on it because <laughs> the whole time you're reading it in the back of your head, you're wondering like, who is Mr. Knightley? Who is the head of this foundation? And at one point I got really scared. I got very suspicious that it was going to be somebody she already knew. But I was like, that can't be because the stipulation was that if he was going to pay for it and she was going to write these letters, she wouldn't have to know who he was, right? So I was mm -hmm. like, it can't be anybody she knows. It can't be anybody she knows. And my suspicion, unfortunately, was correct. Oh, no. <laughs> to the point where it kind of ruined the ending for me. Um, I used to think I was fine, but this book has now given me trust issues. <laughs> so, like, oh my gosh. Katrina, we love you. Thank you. You can trust at least me. I can't okay. say that about our listeners. <laughs> I because... trust you, listeners. <laughs> but, okay. Well, good. I'm pleasantly surprised because, like I said, like when I was looking for book adaptations and this one came up... After I read the description, I'm like, this doesn't sound like it's an actual adaptation of Emma. And it doesn't sound like it is, but it sounds like there's enough connection there to make it worth mm -hmm. worth our read, yeah. I guess. <laughs> oh, you know what? There is an Emma connection. I just remembered. So she meets a friend at grad school. Her name is Ashley. She's like super duper rich. And she's like from New York. And like Ashley is basically like trying to get back at her like society climbing mother who is like a terrible person. Mm -hmm. um, and actually just wants to live her own life. And so her and Sam become friends. And Sam often refers to her as an Emma. like, mm. And she is very Emma-like. And they do mm -hmm. butt heads. But they always talk to each other in a very real way, which I find really refreshing. Like, they don't skirt around and be they're not passive-aggressive with each other. It's like, <laughs> they attack their things head-on when they have a problem with the other, and nice. then they work through it. And it's really, it's really cool relationship. So there's the Emma connection, Ashley, is she is described as the Emma of Sam's life. So there we go. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds good. So... Now that I've told you a bit about my book, um, mm -hmm. I want to hear about Mr. Knightley's diary, which 
she references the Mr. Darcy's diary and Mr. Knightley's diary in my book. So when I saw that bit, I was like, oh, you're reading it. So tell me. Tell me about it. Yeah. A connection we didn't even realize when we put (laughs) these two books together. We literally grabbed them both and put them together for this episode because they're both epistolary. Um, Because again, mine is a diary. Yeah. It is Mr. Knightley's Diary by Amanda Grange, who, if you go back and listen to our Pride and Prejudice book adaptations, also wrote Mr. Darcy's Diary, which I did really enjoy. So I was really looking forward to this one. So essentially, this book is just a collection of diary entries from right before the original novel starts to... Uh, Emma and Knightley's wedding. Um, so you go through all of the months and I was really looking forward to this because the few times in the original text that we actually got Mr. Knightley's point of view were really interesting. Specifically, uh, when he catches Frank Churchill, like, totally fucking up and (laughs) essentially, like, telling everybody that he's been hearing from somebody who isn't Mrs. Weston when he was talking about Mr. Perry's carriage. So I was just like, ooh, Mr. Knightley's figuring it out. It's all good. Yay, see? Uh, and then there's the other part in the original text, which is when Mrs. Elton is talking about going to, like, Box Hill, and then it turns out they have to go to Donwell Abbey, and she's all trying to be, like, in charge and stuff, and he just shoots her down. Like, those are great moments in the original book. So yeah. I was really looking forward to seeing, like, his point of view, through here and I trust Amanda Grange because she did such a good job with Darcy and I was not disappointed okay good at all I I know that set it up like I was gonna be disappointed (laughs) but I was not disappointed uh I think she does uh nightly very well there are a few issues I have with this book and it has to mostly do with the original text okay so because we know that nightly is kind of always around but he's not always part of the action so there are points in this novel specifically at the beginning where it's really just him like going home, working on the farm stuff and then going to Hartfield at night and like talking with Emma for like 10 minutes. And I'm just like, pick it up. Let's go. Like, where is the action? So you don't get really in the action and the meat of the main story until right about the time that Frank Churchill shows up. So okay. it's after Elton, after uh, the Weston's wedding and uh, all of that stuff. So. You know, that kind of makes sense because when you think about it, nothing really happens in Highbury until Frank Churchill shows up mm-hmm. and starts stirring up the drama, right? Yeah, with the exception of Harriet and Elton. Yeah. Which Mr. Knightley wasn't necessarily involved in as much. Like, he saw it happening, but he wasn't there all the time. And right. Emma didn't really, like, confide in him with what she was doing. Um, now, there was that drama between Emma and Mr. Knightley about Harriet. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's all in here. So we hear about his thoughts about Harriet and about their relationship or her relationship with Emma and why he thinks it's not a good idea. But then we also see him, like, interacting with Harriet more throughout the story and seeing how he realizes that he was not, he wasn't correct. He was, he was wrong. That her relationship with Emma has done her good, that she has grown, that she has lost a lot of these, like, the schoolgirl naivete. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, and she's she's presenting herself better and everything like that. So that's that's really nice to see. And all of that 
was set up toward the beginning of this book. There's also obviously the conversations that he has with Mr. Robert Martin. And being able to see Mr. Knightley's relationship with Robert Martin makes it so much worse that Harriet says no <laughs> at the beginning because he does seem like such a good guy. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what this book does, is that we get to see these relationships between characters that we didn't get to see in the original text. Right, right. There's also new characters introduced okay. um, who are just other people who are in town. So a lot of Mr. Knightley's day is dealing with farm stuff, or not farm stuff, estate stuff. Right. Um, he usually visits the, the Woodhouses or the Westons, and then the, he does play whist weekly. And he plays whist with sometimes the Westons, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Ottaway, the Coles, Mr. Langridge, and the Bates are sometimes there, or at least Miss Bates is there. Yeah. Sometimes. There was a woman named Miss Lovage who was there a couple of times. Mr. Elton shows up occasionally. But not really as much. And they just get together and they play whist and they talk about different things happening in town. Yeah. There's another character introduced, a friend of Mr. Knightley's called Rutledge, I believe, who he sees when he like goes to London. And this is somebody that he eventually confides in. So we get to see these cool relationships. We get to see a little bit Mr. a little bit more about uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cole. Yeah. So <laughs> and how like. Mrs. Cole really wanted a new kitchen for Christmas so they could entertain. And that's why they have the party is because she wants to show off her, or not not a kitchen, sorry, a new dining room. Right, right, right. A new dining room. So she wants to show off her dining room. So it's just really nice to see Mr. Knightley, who, again, we all know is like the highest person in town in terms of societal rank, just like communicating and being friends and like yeah. interacting with people all across the, the the societal spectrum yeah so yeah it's just really nice and it really just kind of shows how emma was kind of like a little conceited yeah. especially when it came to the the coals <laughs> yeah and how good mr knightley is yeah because he is he's like off he's described as like one of the best heroes like just mm-hmm. good through and through so yeah yeah so here are some of the things I was a little disappointed in. Okay. Yes, get to the good stuff. <laughs> That's what we want. What did you hate about it? No. Yeah, because I'm really good at hating stuff on this podcast. Uh, so remember that scene I was talking about where Frank totally blunders things and I was all like, oh, Mr. Knightley knows. He's got it. He knows. Frank put his foot in his mouth. He knows. According to this book, Mr. Knightley did not know. <laughs> He he did, but he didn't. Like, I thought, oh, he put it together. Jane, Frank, he's got it. No. He still thought that Frank was in love with Emma and was, like, kind of also flirting with Jane. Like, he didn't yeah. make the connection that, like, there was very much a very clear connection between Frank and Jane. It was more like Jane was, like, on the side kind of thing, maybe? Kind of. Like, in the sense that, like, it was flirty. Right. Like, his main goal was Emma, but he was going to flirt with Jane on the side. That's what Mr. Knightley thought. But, like, in that scene when they're walking, he's just like, oh, this is really odd. Jane must have told Frank. That's really weird. Like, he doesn't make the connection like we made the connection. Right. Clearly, they're he's writing letters. Like, because like, otherwise, yeah. how would he know? Because he hasn't been around that much. So, I gave Mr. Knightley a little too much credit in that scene, according to this book. 
But that's fine because there does still have to be a little bit of mystery because otherwise, why would he be surprised that Frank and Jane are engaged when that scene comes along? So that makes sense. But I did notice that Knightley tends to start making connections and seeing things that we as an audience see when reading Emma, but Emma totally doesn't get. And like, that's a lot of that beginning, especially with the Mr. Elton stuff is like, he sees Elton is totally flirting with Emma and not paying attention to Harriet, just as we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sees that Elton is probably going to propose to Emma. And he's even like, should I tell her? I don't know if I should tell her. Maybe I shouldn't tell her. Okay, John will tell her. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also what I found really nice about this book is it's very clear at the beginning that Mr. Knightley sees Emma as this person he's known his whole life he's watched her grow up you know they have this special connection because they're family and they're good friends but he doesn't see her as a woman he wants to marry until later in the book at the beginning he sees her doing things and sometimes he'll see her do something that just reminds him of when she was a kid which is a little weird yeah but like like they're walking through the snow and she's following him walking in his footsteps instead of making her own, um, which is adorable, by the way. And he's just like, oh, she used to do that as a kid. You know, like she would follow people and like step in their footsteps. So it reminded him of when she was a kid. But then there are other times where it's like, oh my gosh, no, she's a grown adult. She's a woman. She's making decisions. Those are good things on her part. And it's it's interesting. And it's kind of a whole thing with Emma and Knightley's relationship, too, if you think about it. Because he's always like, Emma, you need to be more mature. And then he's like shocked when she is. Um, so then after describing that, would you feel that this novel helped you reconcile their age difference and the fact uh, that he knew her when she was younger? So. And, and not in terms of like connecting it to Emma, the real story. I'm talking about for this novel in this world of Emma specifically. Was was it better for you? I would say yes, with the exception of. When he has that conversation with her where he's like, I've known you since you were, or I was 16 when you were born. I'm this, that comes after he realizes that he's like in love with her. Mm -hmm. Because while we thought that maybe Mr. Knightley didn't realize that he was in love with Emma until like the ball, in this novel, it happens earlier than that. Right. So one of the things that is like a main theme for Mr. Knightley throughout this novel is that he is kind of like, I guess I should get married. Like, I should probably get married. Uh, he's, so he's kind of, like, looking for a wife in some of the people he meets. Miss Lovage is one of them. She's a widow. Uh, she's been widowed for five years. She visits Highbury to visit her brother, who is Graham. I don't think I mentioned before, but it's another person that was kind of made up for this. And he likes her. Like, he finds her interesting to talk to. But there's just not something there. Like, he doesn't feel the connection. He feels like... He can force himself to be interested for a long amount of time, but at the same time, it's kind of just like, eh. Like, he's happy to see her. He enjoys spending time with her, but at the end of the day, he's just like, I don't really think about her. So does that mean I should marry her? Eh, Probably not. So then he starts to think about the same thing with Jane Fairfax a little bit. He's like, well, Jane Fairfax would be a good match. I would be helping her out. And I really enjoy her company. I like talking with her. This was um, after he sang with her. 
and they played music and stuff. And he's, it's kind of come up occasionally, but at, at first he was like, yeah, I should marry Jane. And then he's like, ah, eh, no, I probably shouldn't because again, I'm not thinking about her after I'm like hanging out with her kind of a thing. And then I think his New Year's resolution, because it goes, obviously the story yeah. goes across New Year's is uh, that he would get married in that year. Cause he's just like, I'm going to do it. It's just going to happen. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. Okay, fine. It's, it's done and over with. I'm going to do it. It's so interesting, like, that that's a big part of this, like, Knightley wanting to find a companion, because mm-hmm. throughout Emma, Emma is, like, decidedly against marriage, and that auto- mm-hmm. automatically, in her mind, makes Mr. Knightley decidedly against marriage. And so kind of, yep. like, as a reader, when reading that, I was like, oh, yeah, Knightley doesn't want to get married. Yeah. Yeah, that's what but I no, thought, too. Now he to- and I can totally see that. I can totally see as- see him wanting to do that, even in the context of the original story. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like in the context of the original story, we aren't always aware of the fact that Knightley has a life outside of hanging out with Emma. Yeah. So, like, what we see Knightley doing in the story isn't his entire life. He's out there doing other things. So, yeah, he is out there hanging out with these other people and possibly meeting women that, yeah, he could marry. Yeah. So we don't know that he isn't thinking about this. But I also really like how it's not like his goal right. in this. It's just something that he decides, yeah, I guess I'll do it. Now, before the ball, he is talking with his friends about marriage. I think it's one of the times he's in London and it's Rutledge he's talking about. And Red- Rutledge is like, ah, just marry. Like, just do it. And like, what's wrong with all of these women that you're marrying? And actually, I have this section marked. Uh, it's actually in January. So it's right after his little... New Year's resolution. He says, uh, they're talking about Miss Lovage, and he's like, Knightley's like, oh yeah, she's beautiful. In fact, she's very beautiful. And the guy's like, so what's the problem? And Knightley's like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, well, I mean, she's beautiful. She's young. She's a widow. Why don't you marry her? And he's like, yes, I admitted, I have, but I could not bring myself to think of her in that way. She would always be wanting to go to Brighton or to Bath or to London or to Weymouth and I like to spend my time in Highbury, which the guy's just like, that's a really shitty excuse to not marry somebody is that you have to go places. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that, which I mean, that is a really shitty excuse. I'm not going to lie, but I also kind of appreciate it as well. But anyway, so, so Rutledge is like, yeah, that's a really crappy excuse. You know, like surely some agreement could be met where you get to hang out in Highbury and she gets to travel. And Knightley's like, yeah, I guess but like i'm not in love with her i don't necessarily have feelings for her and he's like what are you supposed to be some like love struck schoolboy and knightley's like the notion of love in my youth struck me as ridiculous but i always miss emma when i'm away from highbury no matter how much i have to do and rutledge is like do you (laughs) and knightley's like yes i do i often resent an evening spent in london because I cannot walk over to Hartfield after dinner and discuss the day's news. And essentially he goes on to say things like, I prefer to look at Emma and like, he's, he's like, he's coming to this conclusion that like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, I totally want to be with Emma. Like Emma is the type of woman that I want. I love her. I really like her. And Rutledge is one at the end is just like, I have a feeling you're going to be married by the end of the year. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, he's he comes to this conclusion before the ball. And 
it's kind of nice. I did kind of want it to be closer to the ball because like you have that realization when he like sees her dancing and stuff like that, that we got from the original text. But like having this like slow realization for him, because while he says like all of those things that are very, that barely clearly mean he's in love with Emma, he doesn't flat out say it until probably like a couple months later. (laughs) So yeah, we also get to see like his reactions to certain people. Like, Frank and Mr. Elton, like, oh my gosh, he is just at the ball. Like, Knightley is really upset that Frank asked Emma for the first two dances. Right. Because he's like, I should have, I should have asked her. I should have asked her. I should have. Yeah, I should have. Should have been me. But it's Frank and he's just upset. So he's like standing there watching and he's just like talking too much. And like... He forgot a couple of dance steps and like, just look at him. It's ridiculous. Like the fact that he, he he's just like, yeah, he totally forgot dance steps. And I'm just like, oh my God, petty much? Like seriously. <laughs> but then also with Mr. Elton and the Harriet situation, he freaks the fuck out. Like internally, like mentally, he's just like, I thought Mr. Elton was a bad guy, but oh my gosh, this is the worst thing you could do. This is terrible, horrible. Like, he's a terrible person. Shame on him. (laughs) And I'm just like, yeah, rip him a new one. Too bad you're saying this in your head and not to his face. Right. But then again, like, we get him and Harriet dancing. And this is after they had had that, like, that build up in their relationship and their kind of a little bit of friendship. Uh, And so they're dancing and they're having a good time and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's, it's a little bit adorable. Does he ever get, like, a sense that maybe Harriet might like him? No. He is completely oblivious. And actually, that was what I was going to say next, so thank you for that. Like, Mr. Knightley is completely oblivious to what young women want. (laughs) Because he's an old man. Yeah, because he's 16 years older than them. Yeah. (laughs) So, with the Elton situation, he sees what's happening, and he, he sees that Elton likes Emma, but he doesn't see that Harriet likes Elton. So when that whole thing blows up, he's just like, ah, Harriet will be fine. I'm sure she didn't even think that Elton liked her or he, she doesn't really care. She doesn't think anything of it. And I'm just like, oh boy, you are so wrong. Yes. <laughs> and then after dancing with Harriet, he doesn't see that Harriet seems to like him. And when they're at Donwell Abbey and even like, a little bit of Box Hill, but mostly at Donwell Abbey, he kind of takes these opportunities when he's alone with Harriet to kind of slyly mention Robert Martin, but not directly. Okay. So, like, when they're at Donwell, he takes Harriet for a walk where they can see Abbey Mill Farm. Yeah. And he starts talking to her, but he's, like, asking her, like, maybe where her affections lie and, like, stuff like that. But he doesn't come out and say anything about the Martins. So Harriet totally takes it as, like, he's wondering if she likes him. And probably rightly so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And uh, another another thing later, uh, when he goes to leave for London and he goes to Hartfield and he's waiting for Emma... But, like, he's like, oh, I can only spare five minutes. And then he's, like, still waiting for Emma. And he's sitting there talking to Harriet for, like, an hour. She totally takes that as, like, he likes her. And even earlier in the novel, uh, when he's spending time with Jane Fairfax, people are, like, kind of getting the hint that, oh, maybe he's courting Jane Fairfax. And one of his friends at the Whist Club or whatever points that out. And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm just being generous. Uh, I don't actually like her. I'm I'm glad you pointed that out because I didn't. I don't want her, her like uh, reputation to be like soiled, and I don't want to give her that in that you know that idea. Thanks for letting me know. 
nobody told him about Harriet, so right. he was doing the same thing with Harriet, and Harriet just becomes obsessed. Oh, no. He didn't even know about it until after, like, after Emma and him are engaged, that's when Emma's like, oh, by the way, Harriet likes you. And he's just like, what? I didn't, I didn't mean to lead her on. I'm so sorry. And I'm just like, wow. Like, reading the original text, I thought Mr. Knightley, like, knew it all. He got it. He wasn't like Emma. When it comes to young women, or women in general, Mr. Knightley is like Emma. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have any idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah. That seems appropriate, though. Yeah. As yeah. a man who's much older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, those are, that, that's pretty much the story. It just, it follows the main text. We get to see Mr. Knightley interacting with uh, his nieces and nephews. Mm. And that's really nice to see. We get to see scenes that aren't in the original book between him and Emma that are really nice. And I really liked that we got to see another side of Highbury with these added characters and like added depth to some of the other ones. There is some fun things that happen with Miss Bates. That I'm not going to spoil, but it definitely, it's definitely not something you see in the original text at all whatsoever, because the character that she spends a lot of time with in this book doesn't exist in the original text, Mm -hmm. but it totally makes sense. Okay. Like, I could see it happening outside of the, the point of view that we see in the original text. I could see it working in the original text. Yeah. If this person existed. So... And I really want it to be canon. Like, can you just make it canon? It just makes me happy. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So that's that's pretty much what happens. And I really enjoyed this book. That's awesome. I enjoyed Mr. Darcy's Diary better. But that's because I enjoy Darcy more than Mr. Sure, Knightley. Sure. Um, but I will say that after reading this and seeing this interpretation of his, like, internal thoughts, I will say that I like Mr. Knightley more than I did after reading the original text. Mm-hmm. Because we get more of him. Yeah. So. That's yeah. that's awesome. I love having these books in there because it's like the male perspective of Austin, which you don't really mm-hmm. get a lot. Like, everything is, like, from a female point of view. Like, I mm-hmm. even, like, in general, like, I can't think of, like, a male point of view book that I've read recently. It was probably a young adult book. And in that case, it's not, like, an older male. It's, like, a young, it's, like, from a young boy's perspective. So, it's I nice mean... to, to see, like, a male perspective in this world i feel like i don't see that a lot it's interesting maybe i shouldn't say it's nice i think it's interesting that's what we want to jump from regency up to victorian we can totally read dracula or frankenstein next (laughs) i'm up for that let's do it (laughs) we have to finish austin first yes and then maybe we'll jump we'll jump eras but no i agree with you i really like seeing the male perspective of these stories Especially with these characters that we really like. Yeah. Because uh, I would not like it if it were through a different person's point of view. Right. With the exception of maybe Mr. Bingley, because I would love to see like what that golden retriever brain has done throughout <laughs> the whole thing. Just like, like, oh, hey, I'm eating toast. I had really great toast this morning. And Elizabeth Bennet showed up. <laughs> <laughs> or like so. he's just thinking about Jane all the time. Like, yeah. all well, he I does hope Jane likes toast. Jane. <laughs> should make this toast for jane when she comes to visit next time jane is sick i'm really enjoying this toast i should probably take this oh look her sister's here (laughs) shiny i would read that (laughs) it's actually like uh it's more like a twitter feed right really is what it is because it's just short little yeah anyway (laughs) oh my god mr bingley's twitter can some if this isn't a thing like somebody needs to make this happen (laughs) 
I agree. I agree. Mr. Bingley's Twitter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so essentially, if you like Emma, or even if you're like us, who are still kind of on the fence about whether or not we like Emma, <laughs> I would suggest reading this because it it kind of fills it out more, it fills the story out more. And I really liked that. It, it I feel like if this book were canon and it was kind of woven in with Emma, I feel like it would make it a richer story. Mm-hmm. It would make it a really long ass story. But again, there are certain things we can cut, Austin. Like, let's talk, edits here, stuff. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> but I, th- I definitely think it's worth a read. So Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Not too bad this week with books, it seems. No, not at all. Uh, I, I was pretty pleased with this week, so. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have another set coming up. Mm-hmm. In two weeks next episode we are reading adaptations by authors of color so i'm reading polite society by mahesh rao and then i'm reading aisha by elklas hussein and hers if you're interested um you would have to get it through kindle um, so if you could download it, I believe if you have Kindle Unlimited, um, or from the Kindle store, um, I don't believe you can buy it in print just as a heads up. Well, yeah. So if you're interested in reading along with us, grab Aisha off the Kindle store and then Polite Society is available at our bookshop site, which is books beyond measure at bookshop.org. Uh, and again, if you buy anything off of our bookshop, of the proceeds go to us to help keep the lights on for the show. And 10% of the proceeds then also go to local and indie bookstores across the country. Because we all know that, you know, bookstores are important, not just for places to buy books, but also for community events and stuff like that. So we should help them out by shopping at bookshop.org. So even if you don't shop our specific uh, store, if you buy anything off of bookshop.org, you can help out local bookstores. I know this isn't an ad. I just really like bookshop.org. <laughs> so, yeah. But that's all for us for this week. We will catch you guys in two weeks. And I promise I won't have bronchitis and sound funny. And yeah, we'll catch you then. Beyond Measure is hosted by me, Katrina Mayer, and me, Elle Kammerer. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Our music was composed by Shane Ivers, and our artwork was created by the beautiful and talented Katie Keneally. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find us on our website at withbeyondmeasure.com. Or follow us on Instagram for all of our updates, memes, and just fun stuff. Our handle is at WBM Podcast. I'm going to say that again. It's WBM Podcast.